Now today, uh, we are coming to the end of a series that we started uh, almost two months ago, uh, and we've been calling the series Battles and Blessings, Battles and Blessings. And uh, if you've been on the journey of life, then you know that life is just filled with both. Typically, you don't have one season of battles and then another season of blessings. The reality is that for most of us, battles and blessings sort of come side by side together in life. And so we've been in a series, and in this series, we've been asking the question, God, how do we live faithful, courageous lives in the midst of any kind of circumstance? No matter what we're going through, God, how do we, how do we live faithfully to you? And the good news is that the Bible gives us a really awesome template in the life of a guy named Joshua. And so we've been looking at Joshua's life over the last two months or so, and, uh, and we've been looking at what it looks like to live a victorious life with God. Because in Joshua's life, there was just a lot of obstacles, and yet we saw a lot of God's blessings at the same time. And so Joshua lived about 3,400 years ago. Uh, at one point, he was a slave for 40 years, and then he became Moses' assistant for another 40 years. And then eventually, he went on to take the reins of leadership among the Israelite people. And one thing that I think is just really interesting to point out about Joshua's life, which is true for a lot of other leaders, is that you have to be a great follower before you can ever become a great leader. And all the great leaders that I know, all the great leaders that I know were great followers first. They lived in the shadows of someone else's leadership for years, and then when it was the right time for them to step into leadership, they blossomed. And that was Joshua's story. He was a slave in Egypt for 40 years, and then uh, he lived, he was sort of an outlier in the community of Israel. He was one of only two people out of the 12 spies that were sent into Jericho to spy out the land who came back with a positive report. And uh, his assessment of the land was that there were obstacles, but he felt like if God was with them that they could overcome it. So he came back with a positive report. He said, we can enter the land. But the rest of Israel was not convinced of that, and so they didn't. So for 40 years, the people of Israel wandered in the desert and Joshua served Moses faithfully. But when it was finally his time to take on leadership, Joshua led the people into the promised land, a promise that had been made to one of their ancestors, Abraham, 500 years earlier. And when Joshua took the reins of leadership, God told him three really important things. And, and if you've been here each week, you probably have started memorizing the three things that God told him. And, uh, and that was on purpose, okay? The first thing, that God told Joshua, he says, I'm going to be with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what land you step on, I am going to be with you. And he said this as a promise. He said, I will never abandon you. I'll never abandon you. And the second thing that he told Joshua, he said, but even still, you're going to need to be strong and courageous. What I'm going to call you to do is going to require your courage and your strength to live faithful in every circumstance. And then last but not least, maybe most importantly, God told Joshua, he said, he said you, you need to follow the instructions that I have given Moses. Do not deviate from them. And if you follow what I have told you to do, you will experience success in every part of your life. And the power of that statement is that everything God told Joshua proved to be true. Everything he told Joshua ended up being true. They succeeded and everything they did from the moment they sent spies into the land and they came back safely, from the time that they crossed two million Israelites through the Jordan River to the moment that they stepped into battle for the first time and they experienced victory, God was faithful in every single part of it. They had success. But the converse was also true. 
is that if you are not faithful or obedient to the instructions that I give you, then you will experience defeat. And we talked about that last week, that Israel experienced their first defeat at Ai in battle. And it was because of the disobedience of one, per one person. Achan's greed caused the entire Israelite army to be defeated, and they lost the battle because of one person's disobedience to God. And this point forward, so what you're going to notice, this is our last, last talk in the book of Joshua, but we only got to Joshua chapter 7. So I'm going to give you a little summary real quick of every other part of it. From chapter 6 through 11, all we see is God going before the people of Israel. In every battle that they faced, God went before them. There were armies and communities of people that were larger than they were, more powerful, more equipped, more fortified uh, communities. And yet, because of God's goodness and his faithfulness to the people of Israel, in every single battle, he, he, allowed, he preserved their life. And then from chapters 22, I'm sorry, 12 through 22, we see that it was this moment of resettling for the people of Israel. They entered into the land, but now they were beginning to establish themselves, and they were dividing up the land among the different 12 tribes. It was a blessing of this re-entering into the land. And the whole book of Joshua follows the pattern or the theme of battles and blessings. That in nearly every season of this journey, they had a battle in front of them. And in the battle, they had to sacrifice a lot. They lost people's lives. Many people didn't enter into the promised land. But the promise of God is that on the back end of every battle, you would be stepping one step closer to the blessing of new life, to the blessing of a new future. And so they did that. And, uh, and it followed this, this theme over and over again. And as Joshua comes to the end of his life, like Moses, he gives a farewell address in Joshua chapter 24. And this is what he says. Joshua chapter 24, verse 11 through 13. He says, when you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites. <laughs> you caught that. You caught that. All right. That's a youth, that's a youth group joke, okay? That's a, it's like a, a dad joke for a pastor. It's really not that funny. But I gave you victory over them. And I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. I gave you land that you had not worked for, and I gave you towns that you did not build. The towns where you are living now, I gave you vineyards and olives groves for food, that you, though you did not plant them. The whole point of Joshua's life was to show the people of Israel that it was not their power. It was God's power. Because this was the play that they ran over and over again. God says it, we do it, and we watch as God goes before us in every single season of life. But they also learned is that if God says it and we don't do it, then we watch as we struggle along the way. And you might ask, well, why did God uh, uh, define the relationship this way? The reason why God did this is because he wanted it to be clear for the Israelites that their success completely depended on his power. Because what happens for us sometimes is that when we start to experience a little bit of success, we start to think that we must be pretty great people. It's a bad conclusion to come to if you look at your life and you see all the good things that you have in your life and you come to the conclusion, look what I have done. Look at all the good that I have done. Look at all the, all the stuff that I've accomplished. The Bible tells us 
that every single good thing in your life comes from God. Every good thing in your life comes from God. Your job, the good job that you have comes from God. The income that you have earned comes from God. Your family comes from God. Your clothes, your house, the neighborhood you live in. Every good thing that you have in your life comes directly from God. Look at what it says in James chapter 1, verse 17. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Psalm chapter 16, verse 2. It says, you are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. Every good thing that you have in your life is a direct result of God's loving provision for you. Every good thing. And the danger comes is when we look at our life and we think, look at what I have done to earn all of this good things around me. And I think about our church. Everything that we have comes from God. Today, we are meeting in a building that we did not build. We are on land that we did not purchase. We are being kept warm with a system that we did not install. All of it was given to us. By God's grace and his goodness, it was given to us. And we cannot think for one second that what we have is not a gift from God. And that was so clear to Joshua. That was so clear to him. And so Joshua, as he reflects on this reality that every good thing that they have comes from God, he's about to tell the children of Israel what the secret sauce to success of life is all about. When I was, uh, when my wife and I uh, decided that we were going to plant a church before we ever moved out to the Bay Area, we started trying to learn about what it takes to plant a church because we really didn't know. And there was a conference that was happening here in San Jose, and it was uh, the keynote speaker of that particular conference was a pastor who I had a lot of respect for, so I was real excited to go, go to it. And the title of his message that day was The Secret Sauce to Church Planting. And I thought, oh boy, all right, I pulled out my notepad, I was ready to take some notes, ready to look. I don't know about you guys, but I'm always looking for silver, silver bullets. You know what I'm saying? The one thing that's going to solve all your problems. And, uh, and so I was real pumped, ready to take notes, and this is what he said, the secret sauce to church planting is blood, sweat, and tears. And I thought, that's not what I, that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> he said, blood, sweat, and tears. But Joshua was telling them, this is a secret sauce to accessing God's goodness in your life for the rest of your life. Verse 14, he says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worship when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and, and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The first thing that Joshua tells them, about how to experience, how to access God's goodness in their life. He said, you've got to serve God with your whole heart because Joshua learned from Achan what it looks like, how counterproductive it can be to serve God with half your heart, to be halfway in the world and halfway out of it. So Joshua said, you've got to serve God with your entire heart. And what that looks like practically is that we are putting God in a place of priority in our life. This is how Jesus says it. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus said, love God 
with every part of your being, with your physical life, your emotional life, your mental life, your, your spiritual life, every part of your life is meant to set God as the priority, the place of preeminence in your life. And I wonder if we were being interviewed today and we were asked the question, who has the most influence in your life? I wonder how we would respond. I mean, who is the person in your life who shapes your decisions more than anything else? What force in your life dictates your behavior more than anything else? For some of us, we may say our parents. For others of you, it may be your boss. For others of you, it's a spouse. Some of you, it's your children. Others, it's friends. Maybe it's the news. Some of us are influenced by social media. Maybe you're in college and it's your professors. Maybe sometimes it's Google. You go to all your... Go to Google with all your hard questions, chat GPT. <laughs> but who has priority in your life? And you typically know who has priority by who, dicta who dictates your decisions. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to love God is to put him in a place of priority in your life. And what it means to be in a place of priority is that he is in a place of influence. So that we see God, we view God as the lens by which we view the world around us. We view God's teachings and his principles as a lens by which we, how we interact with the world in relationships. That's the first thing Joshua told him. He said, you got to serve God wholeheartedly. The second thing he said, though, is like the converse, the shadow side of the same statement. But he said, you got to put away the distractions. Joshua said to put away the idols. An idol is this thing that was kind of a man-made fashioned uh, 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 structure. Oftentimes it was a little, little trinket uh, or a statue. And oftentimes it was made out of metal or stone. And people would fashion these uh, in, in the image that they had created for a particular God. Sometimes it just represented uh, a particular form of spirituality. And, uh, and they would worship these idols. They would put these as a place of priority in their life. But the problem with an idol is that these were inanimate objects. They worship things that actually had no power in their life. They worship things that did not help them to become the person that even they desired to be. And so Joshua said, you've got to set aside these idols in your life. Set aside these distractions that, ta that are taking up a place of priority in your life. Now, we don't have idols typically in our culture the same way that they do, but, but we do have things in our lives that probably take up a place of priority in our heart. And so for us, Joshua is saying, don't put work as the preeminent place of priority. Don't worship work. Don't let work be an idol in your life. Don't let relationships, the desire for relationships to be an idol in your life. Don't allow for money or even family or the desire for success or the hope for influence. Do not let those idols or distractions keep you from what God is leading you toward. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, such a great cloud of, wit, cloud of witnesses, crowd of witnesses, it's also cloud in some translations, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. 
for the people of Israel, their pattern was to experience success, and then as a result of their success, they would get comfortable, and then they'd get caught up. And that may look like a lot of our lives sometimes. We step into a season of comfort, and all of a sudden, we forgot about God's faithfulness that brought us in a place of peace, and it was never meant to be a place of comfort. And instead of continuing to allow for God to lead us to the life that he's leading us into, we take a backseat and we allow for our lives to get distracted by a few things. We set our minds to the wrong focus. Some of you guys, probably most of you guys don't know the name, uh, Matt Edmonds. I didn't either until I heard this story. Uh, Matt Edmonds was, was uh, one of the best uh, marksmen uh, in the history of the U.S. And some people said that he was as good at marksmanship as Michael Jordan was at basketball. I don't think that that can possibly be true, but then again, I don't know anything about marks, marks being a marksman. Okay, it's shooting. If that's not clear to everybody, <laughs> shooting. And, uh, and they were saying that uh, during the time, 2004 Olympics, it, it was going to be a cakewalk uh, to the gold medal. There were, the competition was so far behind him that it was going to be an easy win, an easy gold medal for uh, Matt Edmonds. And so he's starting to work his way through the Olympics. He goes through the first round, the second round, and he's just destroying the competition so far of everyone else. And then finally, he gets to the last round, but he was so far ahead of his competition that all he had to do was to hit the target. I mean, he didn't have to hit like any of the close rings to the center of the bullseye. He literally just had to hit the target, and he would have walked away for, with the gold for the U.S. And so he pulls back, and he aims, and he shoots. And it hits dead center of the bullseye. But the problem is that it was the wrong target. He didn't even medal at this competition in the Olympics. The problem is that he was aiming for the wrong thing. And it is so sad to see someone's life be successful in the areas that don't matter in the end. That's what happened to Matt Edmond. And some of us sometimes have gotten good at uh, distracting ourselves from the really important things and we focus on something that doesn't really make a difference in the end. And so uh, Joshua is telling these people, he said, do not get distracted by the idols. Today you must choose who you will serve. One of the important skills of every leader is the ability to help the people that you lead make a decision. You have to lead people to important decisions for them to make in their life. That's the skill of a great leader, and that's what Joshua was doing. He said, you will have to choose today who you will follow in the years to come, because my influence in your life is coming to an end, and you'll have to decide what your future will hold. And Joshua said, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. For Joshua, there was no question. We're going to serve God wherever he leads. We're going to follow. We don't care what it costs us. We don't care if nobody else comes with us. We don't care if people get mad at us along the way. We've already pre-decided that wherever God guides, we are going to follow. And you might ask, why? How had Joshua become so convinced that God's way was the best way? He did it because he observed what life looks like without God. And there are some of us in the room who have forgotten what that is like. The hopelessness, the purposelessness, the challenge of living outside of God's blessing in area, every area of our life is a very dark place to live. Joshua said, don't do it. 
because he longed for the people of Israel to experience the type of life that God dreamed that they could have. And so he said, as for me and my house, we will follow, follow the Lord. Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. He says, soon I will die, going the way of everlasting, going the way of everything on earth. But deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true and not a single one has failed. That was Joshua's experience with God. He could not look back at one, one moment of his life where God has failed him, where God did not do what he said he was going to do. And he was telling the Israelites they had to decide how they were going to move forward, where they continue to allow for God to go before him. And that was Joshua's legacy. If there's any legacy that he left behind, this was it. He lived a victorious life in God, a victorious life. And for Joshua, it was just one step of obedience after the other, one season of faithfulness after the other. In every circumstance, he said, I'm going to trust God to go before me just like he's done in the past. As a, as a pastor, uh, I would say that I've had the privilege of officiating a lot of people's uh, funeral services or memorial services, whatever you want to call it. And I've done dozens upon dozens of, of services. And, uh, and the thing that is oftentimes most powerful being on this side of those experiences is that you begin to see patterns when you do them a lot. And the sad, the sad reality is, is, is that you recognize that there are some people who live their life without ever considering their legacy. There are some people who have lived their life only for themselves. And the way that you see that being expressed in a funeral is that you will have the people who are closest to them who don't have anything good to say about them. And, uh, and it's a sad experience. I mean, it's hard to have joy in those times. But the opposite is also true, is that even though it's sad when we lose someone that we love, certain people's lives are the, live the type of lives that are worth celebrating. They're worth, they're worth admonishing. They're worth elevating. And, uh, and, and this is how you know. It's that the people who are closest to them think the most of them. About a month ago, uh, my pastor uh, passed away, and he died of, uh, of a, basically an incurable form of cancer. It was bile duct cancer. It was really aggressive, and they couldn't do anything about it, so they gave him about three months. He ended up living a year, and about a month ago, he passed away. But the most powerful part about being, uh, attending the memorial service was, was getting to hear the stories about his life. And there was no, no one from church that went up there and told testimony. It was all his family. It was all his children. And the consistent theme, the consistent story that each of his children told about him, they said he was the same person on Sunday that he was at home. And they just talked about how faithful he was to his family, how honorable he was in his life, and how much every part of his life was centered around God, not just the things that he said at church, but even in their household. The truth is, is that every single one of us will leave a legacy in this life. And did you know that our legacy is determined by the decisions that we make today? It's not usually the few decisions that we make at the end of our life, 
whether or not we choose to be faithful or unfaithful, but a legacy is built by the day in, day out decisions that each of us make to dictate our behaviors throughout the course of our life. That is how a legacy is built. And I think that um, I love getting to read about legacy. And this past week, Pastor John was looking through the office and he was going through some old, some old files in the office and he pulled out an old uh, program from the church back in the day uh, in the 60s and 70s and it kind of told the history of the property that we're in today and I just wanted to read a few things for you. It said the Calvary Baptist Church of San Jose, now Baptist Temple, felt the need for a mission in Campbell. And after a door-to-door -door census, this is how they did it back in the day, all right? Door-to-door -door census, that means they went and knocked on doors and interviewed people. A church was organized August 4th, 1945 with eight, eight members, eight members, meeting in the Boy Scout Hall. Six were added the first month to make 14 charter members. Miss Eloise W. Williams and Miss Elva Bicknell are the only charter members left. Reverend W.C. Ferguson was called as the first pastor and offerings, this is cool, offerings reached a total of $30 weekly for the first year. How'd they, I don't know how they survived in the Bay Area. 20 new members were added during this time. And the property was purchased in 1949 and a new building was built at 109 First Street in 1951. On the other side, it says, Welcome to First Baptist Church. This is kind of the program that people would receive when they came to church. Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Campbell. You'll find here a friendship, fellowship, and partnership that can only be found among God's people. We are not bashful about including a good portion of the old-time religion in our effort to proclaim the message of our Savior. He says, We are seeking to evolve every Christian member of this church to be an active witness for our Lord. It is my personal desire to effectively urge each of you to proclaim Christ as your Savior and witness to the lost that they indeed might accept Jesus as their personal Savior. We are providing as a regular part of our church program weekly visitation activity designed to make possible a place of evangelistic service for everyone. And as your pastor, my life is dedicating, dedicated to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus winning the unsaved and ministering to the needs of the people of this church and community. To accomplish even a small part of this, I need your prayers, your cooperation, and listen to what he says last, and your undivided loyalty to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love getting to read this document from about 50 years ago because it reminds us that the vision has never changed. Now, we use different language and maybe we describe it in different ways but the, vi the vision has never changed. And the last thing he said is the same thing that Joshua said. He said, you've got to love God with your whole heart, your undivided loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how you build a legacy. That is how you build a legacy. And for the future for us is how as a church, we are deciding to build our legacy. And our legacy is going to be one of sacrifice, one where we are going to do whatever we can to leverage what we have to make sure that this church is going to continue to be a light in our community for generations to come. And I'm so grateful that over the course of the last few weeks, we have had so many people that have stepped out in faith with their finances and said, I'm willing to trust God in this area of my life. And I know that for a lot of people, it is not an easy decision, but I love the thought that so many of us have come into this place 
and we have gone home into the quietness of our lives and we've had that conversation with God. We just said, God, how are you leading me in this particular area of my life? And there have been so many people who heard from God and responded in obedience. That is a powerful thing. And I think that God honors that. God always does something special when people come together and we put our faith, our little bit of faith, and we watch God do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Joshua said, love God with your whole heart. To love him is to give him your life. But did you know that God would never ask us to do something that he was not willing to do first? When God talks about sacrifice, it's because he modeled it in the greatest way possible when he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to carry the weight of the sin of the world upon his back when he was perfect. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin took on sin for the rest of us. He bore our shame and he took upon our guilt and he carried the weight that we could not carry all so that we could be back in a relationship with him. So that we didn't have to live in the bondage of false promises that the world makes to us. That we didn't have to, so that we didn't have to live as a slave to our own desires, but God would be the center of our lives. And we could live under the umbrella of his faithfulness forever. I came across a story about a guy named Eugene Peterson that may be familiar to some of us, but his claim to fame was that he translated the Bible, which uh, is referred to as the message. It's one of the best-selling translations of the Bible uh, in history. And, uh, And his son was speaking at his funeral And this is what his son shared about his life. He said, 29 years of pastoral ministry, and my dad had everyone fooled for 29 years. He only had one sermon. For all the books that he he wrote, he only had one one message, and he let me in on this message really early on in my life because every night as I would go to bed, my dad would come into my room, and he would whisper into my ear, and he would say, Son, God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you, and he is relentless. That is the goodness of God. That God never expected for you to do all these things to try to get to heaven, to try to be in a relationship with him, or to try to live a perfect life. The difference between the gospel and every other message is that it is about what God did to get to you. It is about how much God loves you. The entire Bible is God's love story written to his people. And it's just evidence after evidence of what he was willing to do to be in relationship with you. So the question is, what is your legacy? Imagine what your testimony would do to the lives of people who were closest to you. If your life was a testimony, if you left the legacy of faithfulness to God. And for some of us today, that may look a little bit different. For some of us today, that may look like taking a step of faith and getting baptized. 
You've already made a decision to follow Jesus, but you've never gone public with your faith. For some of you, that is what faithfulness looks like in this season of life. For others of you, it might look like living in accordance with God's word in other areas of your life. By saying, God, I'm gonna allow for your place of priority to influence the way that I engage in my relationships. For some of us, a legacy of faithful looks like forgiveness. For others of us, it looks like stepping out of isolation and stepping into community. For some of us, it means being generous in new ways and in new levels in this season. But for some of you, it, it might look like finally surrendering your life to God for the first time. And one of the things that we learn is when we come into a place like this is that there are varying degrees of resistance that people walk into when it comes to their relationship with God. For some of us, we've made a decision to follow Jesus, but there's a certain area of our life that we're really not ready to give up yet. But there are some of us today that have stepped into this place and we've been looking, we've been looking for, for satisfaction and sustenance in some area of our life. And we showed up here because every other area of our life continues to leave us wanting for more. And we think maybe God Maybe God can do something for my heart. If that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to step into faith for the very first time. To allow for God to do in your heart what only He can do. And this is the promise. Is that for every person who steps into faith with Jesus, who crosses the finish line of faith, the Bible promises that God will give you a new heart. And what that means is that you will begin the process of healing in all the fragmented areas of your life. All the areas of shame and guilt and all the areas where you are carrying an unnecessary weight that God said, I would love to take on for you. That is what happens at salvation, is that God begins to renew the brokenness that is true within all of our hearts. So if that's you this morning, if you're ready to take that step of faith, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if today you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus, you can pray this prayer after me in your heart. And we say there's nothing special about the prayer. It's whether or not these prayers, this prayer reflects the desire of your heart. So if that's you today, you can repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for never giving up on me. God, thank you for bringing me into a space of light and out of the darkness. And today I see that, God, I can't do it on my own. And today I'm ready to believe that you loved me enough to send your son to sacrifice his life on my behalf. I'm ready to believe that all of the sins of my past, all the selfish decisions, that I've made could be wiped clean and that today can be a fresh start. God, I'm ready to step out of the old life and into the new. And I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, I believe. Go ahead and keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And for those of you that prayed that prayer, I wanna ask you to take one more step of faith. We do this every week. 
every time we offer an invitation because we know how powerful it is when people respond physically to what God is doing spiritually in their life. And we want this day to be a moment for some of us to say, I'm ready. I'm ready for new life. I'm ready, ready to hand over the reins of my life and trust that God can do more with it than I can. So if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you on the count of three just to simply raise your hand so that we can celebrate what God is doing in this place. One, God loves you so much. Two, you didn't end up here by accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. I see you. 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 Any others? Any others? If you're tuning in online, I want to encourage you to go ahead and hit the bottom at the, bo at the, the button at the bottom of the comment section. We have someone from our team that would love to get you more resources to help you continue growing your relationship with God. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the space that you've created here in this church. Lord, where we can both be encouraged and challenged, trusting God that you are moving in this place, knowing that God, there's not one of us who has figured it all out, but we're all on the journey of growing closer to you and walking closer to you. And God, I pray that as we go through this season, that we would continue to place you as in a place of preeminence in our life, a place of priority. And God, that we would be faithful every time that you are prompting us to be obedient in a certain area of our life. Every time you prompt our spirit, God, would you help us to be faithful to the thing that you are leading us to? Would you give us the strength, God, to live this life with faithfulness and courage in every circumstance? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you guys do me a favor this morning and let's celebrate every life that stepped in the face for the first time.